This is an FNF disclaimer. We advise our listeners that content for this episode has a graphic nature and discretion is advised for sensitive and underage listeners. Over 200 million girls under the age of 15 years have been subjected to female genital mutilation. In some counties, communities have turned to secret missions to continue with this practice, despite the measures put in place to end it. Four girls in West Pocot County have been admitted to hospital after they were forced to undergo female genital mutilation. The four part of seven pupils in Senetua Primary School who got circumcised on Tuesday during a secret rite. Making the cut. Today, we hone in on the scourge of female genital mutilation, also known as FGM or female genital cutting, FGC. A child's innocence is one which is treasured and should be protected. Any harm or torture done to a child from any society should be severely judged and not go without impunity. Yet to this day, young girls as young as four years old are forced to undergo female circumcision, or as it should rightfully be labeled, female genital mutilation. All of this in the name of upholding age-old tradition and culture, which sexualizes the very essence of female biology as a means to control and subjugate the female gender. What is even more heartbreaking is that this practice takes place under the guidance and leadership of other, much older women. As a continent, where do we come from with this practice, as African people? What we do understand from this prescriptive rite of passage is that without fail, it causes lifelong ramifications and sometimes the death of young girls. According to the United Nations Population Fund featured statistics on FGM in February 2022, FGM is still practiced in 14 African countries, which are predominantly in the West, East and Horn of Africa regions. As part of Aspiration 6, Priority 51 of the African Union Agenda 2063, it aims to eliminate all forms of gender-based violence and discrimination against women and girls. Political leaders are playing their own critical part. The African Union has appointed the president of Burkina Faso, Rock Mark Christian Kabore, as the champion for the elimination of FGM and launched the Salima Initiative in 2019. Perhaps our starting point should be the definition of what FGM is and why it is considered a human rights violation, especially for young women and girls. What has made this practice necessary? And furthermore, what has sustained its practice with much resistance and defense to uphold it in the name of cultural practice? I came here because of some reason of some cases, because in our community, girls are facing some challenges like FGM, early marriages and early pregnancy. And after I realized this, or after I faced some challenges, because women have no voice in our community. I was brought up the same way other girls were brought, 
my father, my mother, they cherished Maasai culture, they love it. It has been part of them since I was very young. My elder sisters have undergone the cut, which is female genital mutilation. Since I was very young, I've been observing them, I've been witnessing them, undergoing circumcision, then they were given out for marriage. Two of my friends, closest friends, were pregnant, and I was afraid, thinking that anything might happen to me next. Today, I am pleased to be joined in studio and in person with Nice Nalante Lengete, a Kenyan human rights activist advocating for an alternative rite of passage, or ARP, for girls in Africa and campaigning to stop FGM. Nice Nalante Lengete, founder at Nice Place Leadership Academy and Safe House for Girls, and author of The Girls in the Wild Fig Tree. As a proud Maasai woman, Nice has challenged the social norms of the male-dominated community from the age of eight in her quest to end the harmful practices of FGM and child marriage. Through her own efforts and with the support of AMREF Health Africa, Nice educated elders, boys, and the young men known as Morans in her community with new messages about sexual and reproductive health and rights. Over time, the Morans accepted her as a leader, which enabled her to work with women, girls, Morans, cultural leaders, and elders to eliminate the practice of FGMC and replace it with alternative rites of passage for girls that maintain the cultural celebration of the transition into womanhood. Today, NICE is a respected community advocate and recognized global youth leader. In April 2018, she was named in Time Magazine's 100 list of the most influential people in the world. Africa Youth Awards listed her among the 100 most influential young Africans in September 2018, and she was honored as one of three BBC Outlook Inspiration Award recipients in June 2018. We take a personal journey with Nice on this topic. Her story, growing up, being faced with FGM, and her passion to stand up for survivors and be part of the galvanized effort to bring this ruthless and dangerous phenomenon that is an unfortunate reality so many young women and girls face. Nice, indeed a pleasure to be seated face-to-face -face for this episode's feature. Welcome. As a young girl born into the Maasai ethnic group in Kenya, growing up, what was life like in your community? Uh, I was born in the southern part of Kenya, uh, that's Kajado South. Uh, I come from a community where I like saying I'm from the heart of Mount Kilimanjaro. No, Mount Kilimanjaro is not in Kenya, but we enjoy the beautiful part. And uh, uh, it's a very beautiful community. We live close to the national park. Uh, we live uh, with a lot of wild animals and all that, but they are part of us. And uh, just like any other girl growing up there, um, it was beautiful. Uh, when I was with my parents, I could go to school in the morning uh, together with my elder sister and brother. And uh, life was good there. But also as a Maasai girl, when you grow up, 
uh, when you are at the age of six, you have to attend ceremonies for other girls who are facing a circumcision as a way to prepare you. Because remember, as a young girl, or uh, when you're supposed to undergo circumcision, there are things that you're not supposed to do. One of them is crying or move your body or your eyes. You are called a coward or there is no man from that community who is going to marry you. That's why our mother would wake up uh, as early as early as 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. together with my sister to go and witness other girls when they're undergoing their cut. And they attended many ceremonies. I saw my friends. I saw my neighbors. It's not like I was going to witness girls I didn't know. And out of that, I will say it was a very traumatizing experience. Out of seeing many girls, I saw death out of uh, female genital mutilation. I saw girls' dreams being taken away. These are girls I was in school with. They were my cousins or neighbors or friends. And it means uh, once you have undergone the cut, it's a rite of passage from girlhood to womanhood. Even if you're 10 years, you're 12 years or 8, as long as you have undergone the cut, to them you're considered a woman. And it means you're ready for marriage. You're ready to become a mother when you're still a child because once you're married, you're expected to have your own children and take care of your family. And I was not ready for it. I said, I don't want to die like so-and-so. I don't want to leave school like my friend. I don't want to be married by someone who is not even my choice because it's an old man that uh, the family or, or, or your father decides for you. But it was not easy to convince my community at that time. So at the age of eight years old, uh, uh, seven, sorry, I lost my father and mother in a span of one year. And I went and lived with my grandfather. And when I lived with my grandfather, because he was old, we didn't have anyone to take care of us. I had a chance to go to a boarding school. And that's when I started to interact with girls from different communities that's when I knew female genital mutilation is not done to every girl because where I was coming from, my mother, my aunties, my neighbors, you know, everyone around me has undergone the cut. So that was the life I knew. And uh, by interacting with girls from different communities, it was not easy because we used to shower together in big bathrooms. And if they know you come from the Maasai community, when you are showering, they want to see you. They make jokes. They laugh at you. Why did your family do this to you? Because they wouldn't understand why it was done. They come from different communities. And that traumatized many girls that some of them have to drop out of school. And I started having that conversation with my teacher. I told her, my family wants to organize a circumcision for me and my sister, but I don't want. I want to stay in school. And I also don't want to be treated with my fellow girls the way I see them treating other girls. But my teacher was, uh, teacher Caroline, uh, was non-Masai. And she told me, nice if you want to be a teacher like me and stay in school because I wanted to be a teacher when I was young. You have to run away from the cut. Don't agree. I said, my family threatened me. They wanted to do it to me forcibly. They're telling me because there are a lot of myths around female genital mutilation that if you don't agree, you'll not be able to give birth. There is no man from that community who is going to marry you. Or when you give birth, you're going to die. So they try to tell you all, the, all those things. And as a young child or as a young girl, at some point I was scared. But I'm happy I had my teacher that I would ask her those questions every time. 
So our time came. We woke up as early as 4 a.m. together with my sister. We had to shower with cold water because that cold water is supposed to act as anesthesia. Remember, you're not given any injection. Mm -hmm. You shower with the cold water that has slept outside for two days. And uh, as I said before, there are things you're not supposed to do, like crying or moving your body or your eyes. So we woke up as early as 4 a.m. We joined our two cousins. And when we were showering, I remember telling my sister, I want to stay in school. I don't want to die. I don't want to be married young. My sister was telling me the same. So we planned on how we are going to escape. We went outside our uncle's home. There was a tree. We climbed there and we stayed there for some time. And because it was late, we couldn't go down. There are wild animals. We had to stay there for some time. But when there was light, we had to go down and we walked for more than 15 kilometers together with my sister. And again, we couldn't go through the road because if we pass the road, they might come with motorbikes and bicycles and they will find us. So we just had to walk through the bush. And later on, after a week or so, because we went to our mother's sister's place, we were found there. And our uncle and a group of men, we were beaten and threatened. And we had to promise that uh, next time we'll not run away. So we came back, went to school. Schools were closed again. Our circumcision ceremony was planned again because they had already circumcised our three cousins. And we had to wake up again as early as 4 a.m., showered with the cold water. And I remember telling my sister, we need to run for our safety again. Even if it means a hundred times or a thousand times, we have seen the pain that it has caused in our community. We have seen what it has done to our friends, neighbors, and even family members. Uh, but my sister told me, nice, look, we can't be running away every time. The other time we were beaten and threatened. So maybe this time they will do something worse to us. Uh, but because I'm uh, older than you, just go. I will stay and I will not tell anyone where you are. Mm. I will just go to the same tree. And um, I, I, it was very hard for me because I tried to convince my sister, but it was not easy. So I went to the same tree, but uh, being in that tree, it was very difficult for me. Every time I was like, what if she dies? What will happen to her? Mm. Now my sister will be considered a woman. She's not able to go back to school. Uh, but then again, I couldn't go back because if I went back, they would do it forcibly to me. Uh, so my sister was not lucky. She got circumcised and married afterwards. And uh, I think it is still one of the most difficult moments for me. Mm. But out of that, she, I decided I will not go back to my mother's uh, sister's place. I'll go back to school, explain to my teacher what has happened. And it has been difficult for me because every time I was like, I wish I could save her. I wish I could do something for her. But um, I also said at some point, I need to make peace with myself. And I need to be there and try and support other girls. I couldn't do it for my sister Soila, but it doesn't mean I have to keep quiet. I have sisters all over the world, sisters all over Africa, uh, all over Kenya, who still every day have to undergo what my sister underwent. And that's how I decided now I need to come out and speak up, not only for myself, and uh, but also stand up for the rights of other girls. And after staying in school for some time, I had to go back home because school is not my home. And I started having conversations with my grandfather. 
I don't want to die like so and so. I don't want to live in, uh, uh, I don't want to be married when I'm still young. And I told my grandfather, after having those conversations many times with him, I will run away, become a creature, and never come back. Because I also try to bargain with him that I'm still young, give me more time so that I have a chance to stay in school. But later on, my grandfather agreed to support me. He called my family members and he said, uh, let's just uh, allow her to stay in school. Whenever she's ready, she will come back. So I've never gone back to my family to say I want to be cut because I've seen how it, the pain it has brought to the lives of many girls uh, that I know. And I think from that, uh, growing up in that community, again, has not been easy because there are all those names they give to uncircumcised girls. You know, people thought you can't be anything because you went against the wish of your community and your family members. But I think the whole experience, uh, the whole series of events I've undergone, it toughened me up. And to always remember that I can stand up and, uh, and running away is also not a solution. Because remember, we have girls with disabilities who cannot see, who cannot walk. Where will they run to? It's also not a solution to every girl. And that's why I decided to have a conversation with our community members. I decided to have this conversation with elders. Because also as a woman, you're not allowed to talk in front of men. But I knew I cannot make change in that community if you are not involving men, uh, especially elderly men and the younger men in these conversations. And uh, that's how the journey started. Nice. I I listen to you in this very moment as you are documenting your experience as a survivor of FGM. And it's in this moment as well that I, as a mother of two young girls myself, um, the vividness of the picture that you have painted and the memories that, you know, one can quite um, audibly and visibly see you know, still very much um, make up a, a lot of um, some of the trauma you experienced around that time, um, which again speaks to, you know, the unfortunate reality in this moment in time as we sit here having this exchange, that it is happening to another young girl somewhere, um, not just in Kenya, but in uh, some of the other parts of our continent. In 2014, um, the Maasai elders declared an end to this practice of FGM. Is this still the case? And if you think of beyond the borders of Kenya, um, would we perhaps see similar actions transcending uh, favorably um, towards the ending of the practice of FGM? You know, ending FGM takes a lot of time because I, uh, changing culture is not easy. You know, it's, uh, it's about changing mindset. It's about changing attitude. It's about changing behavior. That's a culture that has been there for hundreds or thousands of years. We don't even know from when. Even our great-grandmothers, our grandmothers, you know, it has been there for long. And if you look at the history of Maasai uh, uh, or the origin of FGM, they said uh, Maasai people, we keep animals. We keep cattle. So we move from one area to another uh, in search for greener pastures. Like right now, you know, it's a drought season in Kenya. So it means they are in different villages or places, even in Tanzania sometimes, or different areas in Kenya, uh, in search for uh, grass for their cattle and that. It's men and boys who move with cows. 
women and children are left behind. And uh, uh, what they say is that uh, when they moved with their cows for some time, uh, when they came back after months, they found their women pregnant. And they said, we need to find a way of punishing our women so that when they are away, they don't sleep around with other men or they don't become prostitutes. It was a way of making sure that their women don't enjoy sex or don't become prostitutes. They want to keep their women for themselves. And they say the one thing we need to do is to look for a way of punishing them so that they don't, uh, 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 they don't uh, continue having sex with other men. And that punishment was female genital mutilation. They say we need to cut all of our women. And that's why I'm saying changing that behavior uh, because it's a practice that has been there and that's what they believe in. It's not easy. And we all know it's a rite of passage from girlhood to womanhood. You're not accepted by the community. You're not anyone in that community if you have not undergone the cut. And, uh, but to us, any achievement, any little step we make, uh, we feel like it helps us uh, when it comes to ending female genital mutilation. One of the things is denunciation from the cultural leaders. That was there in 2014. Uh, having our men or our elders coming out and saying, we do no longer want our girls or our grandchildren or our daughters to undergo the, the cut is something big. But it has not come easy. It has gone a long way with a lot of conversations, a lot of dialogues uh, together with them. And I want to bring in the issues of alternative rites of passage that we've been working on, that we are simply saying, let us keep what is beautiful in our culture. Let us, uh, 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 because if you look at the Maasai people, how we dress, how we sing, how we stay together, the generosity, love and unity that is in that community, you cannot get it anywhere because it's the only community whereby culture teaches you to share the small that you have. You can't eat and your neighbor is sleeping hungry. We are the only community that we are not divided over small things. We have our own ways of uh, solving our problems. And as a young warrior, you can't walk alone, you can't eat alone, because they have to teach you how to share the little you have. And uh, those are the things we are saying. Let's keep what is beautiful in our culture. We don't have to do away with. Let, let's embrace. But there is also a culture that is taking away the dreams of these girls. There is a culture that is not just a physical cut. It's a cut of their dreams. It's a cut of human rights. And it, they are not able to go back to school. They are considered women. At the age of 12, you leave school, you get married. And every child, they have ambitions, they have dreams. They, want, they have whatever they want to be when they grow up. They want to be lawyers, they want to be teachers, professors, or anything they aspire to be. But if we have a culture like that, that is denying those girls an, uh, an opportunity to, to get an education, then it will not be easy uh, to have a developed community or a developed uh, a, a, a county or continent. So what we try to do is to ensure that uh, we are talking to our elders and we are talking to everyone, to the community. They need to understand it's not only affecting their health, but it's affecting the lives of girls uh, in whole. Nice. Just to hear you speak about um, 
you know, thinking about exactly where this practice emanated from and how far back we can trace it. Um, it's interesting to find out again, uh, something that we even said in the introduction that, you know, this sexualization in terms of subjugating women and controlling them, um, you know, how we actually see that now having turned into something of a practice of culture, something which is now accepted and something even which one could consider has formed part of some form of industry um, at the at the expense of so many young women and girls and their dreams, their lives even. Nice. Let's take it back slightly. Why are definitions such as female genital cutting and female circumcision used to replace FGM? Why the need to euphemize it, do you think? Why are we protecting um, the, 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 the gruesomeness with words by trying to beautify it in some way? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, that conversation uh, has been there in different, uh, even global forums for FGM. Uh, uh, others are saying we go by the term female genital mutilation because it's mutilation. We don't give, want, want to give it a, a, a better name. Uh, it's simply mutilating our girls and let's call it that way because that's how it is. And uh, for some culture that works. But other, girl, uh, other communities are saying, uh, to us it's not mutilation, it's a cut. And as I said, uh, the, one of the reasons they give, they say, we are not doing it because we are, hate our girls or our daughters. We are doing it out of love. We want them to be accepted. We want them to feel like they are part of that society. And that's their identity. That's who they are. And, uh, and, and, and that's why it, nowadays most of uh, uh, places whereby you go, you see they say female genital mutilation stroke cutting because they want to ensure that uh, all, all communities feel like, uh, you know, we are taking their concerns and all that. So it's, it's a very uh, uh, different conversation because there are other who prefer, let's say, mutilation. Others prefer, let's call the cutting. And uh, to them, they say to us, it's a cut. It's not mutilation. So it's not really easy to say we go by the word mutilation or cut. I think it's what fits with the community because we also like being sensitive we to culture and to what people want uh, because uh, they have different reasons on why they are doing female genital mutilation. The reason we are doing it in Kenya is not the reason they are doing it in Ethiopia or Senegal or any other country that is practicing female genital mutilation. So I like saying uh, whatever that people feels like it relates with their culture or what they do, that's what they should they should they, they should use. And uh, remember, it's good not to be judgmental. Uh, it's just good to be sensitive and allow people uh, use whatever term they feel like it resonates with them. For those who are listening to this topic for the first time or who might be unfamiliar, let us go through what happens when a young girl is face-to-face -face with the procedure. Can you talk us through that? Uh, female genital mutilation involves, or it's a traditional harmful practice that involves the partial or total removal or a, of external uh, female genitalia or any other injury to female genital mutilation organs for non-medical reasons. 
Uh, remember other communities say it's because of religion, that's why we, they are doing it, but mm-hmm. we have all seen because we've done meetings even with uh, 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 religion leaders and they said it has nothing to do with religion. Others uh, definitely it's because of culture. And uh, so there's no one reason to each community. I think they all have different reasons on why they are doing it. But uh, all we all know is that uh, it's a violation of human uh, 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 it's a violation of human rights. And uh, we all know that it does not have any medical uh, benefits. Others say it has, but we all know that it has not. Uh, remember, it brings a lot of pain and injuries. You know, we've seen even other girls bleeding, bleeding to death. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of consequences, not only on their health part, but also socially and economically. Because remember, their dreams are taken away. They can't continue going to school. They become women or they become uh, uh, brides when they are still children. They become mothers when they are still children. And uh, it means if you are not educating our girls, if you are not educating the community, we cannot have uh, um, we cannot have uh, uh, a society uh, that is well developed. Do you think we hide behind culture to endorse the things we cannot explain or justify? Mm-hmm. I can say maybe in a way yes, uh, uh, because a good example is is where I come from. You know, we had cultures that way back we thought they were important, but now it has changed. Though it has taken time, because. A lot of things that we really feel are important to us, we have we we keep on saying it's because of culture. This is what culture says. It's important to us. It's our identity. It's what makes us who we are. That's why we are special and all that. And uh, that's why also for us in our work, we decided to have a cultural solution to end female genital mutilation because we know how important culture is. But we are simply saying a culture that has no meaning is what we need to stop. A culture uh, 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 that has been there and we found it, uh, you know, people have different reasons on why they feel is important. But we all understand because of the experiences, the stories, the difficult stories from girls and women from these communities we we are coming from, uh, the horrors they had to go. So we we, we all know uh, the, the consequences. Uh, but... Uh, we want to use culture in a good way because also there is what is beautiful, as I said before, in our culture. And not only the culture that I come from, we have a lot of different cultures in, in Africa that is beautiful. A lot of people travel from different places just to come and see their way of living, what they do, their culture and everything. And that's what is beautiful. And we are saying, let's embrace what is good. But what has no meaning is what we are saying Let's do away with. I want to pick up from that point. Um, nice. You speak about, you know, the younger generation starting to to pick up on, on some of these practices, what we call culture, tradition. And uh, we were having a conversation earlier um, before we started. And um, you speak about time. The time that has passed from the time that you were six years old and you came to realize this as part of your reality and where you are now in your womanhood. Um, we speak of time and change. 
how have you been received in Kenya and maybe even in the region or the continent for your outward and outspoken views on FGM? And I'm referring specifically here, Nice, to any kind of name calling or attack on your Africanness, so to speak. Uh, definitely growing up in that community, it was not easy. And it's not only when I was growing up, uh, because at that time, people felt like, we, why are we ending FGM? I think it's an important rites of passage. Why are we trying to change that? Uh, and to them, it's important and it's something they wanted to keep. So they are like, you are coming here to change culture, to find culture. So they look at you as an enemy not as someone who is trying to make positive change in that community. And also remember for the younger men, we call them Morans. Uh, it means if girls are married younger, uh, uh, sorry, if they are circumcised younger, they are married younger and they want that. Even the elderly men, they are marrying the younger girls because to them they are not children. They are grown women even if they are 12, 10 years old. So it means when you are having these dialogues with the community, girls are seeing the importance of staying in school and they are seeing uh, uh, why they should be in school. They are now realizing that it's, it's a harmful practice that should not be done. It damages their, their lives. And they start saying, we don't want to be circumcised. You know, if you're not circumcised, it means you're delaying your marriage. It means you have a chance to continue uh, uh, with your education. It means you'll be able to choose whom and when to marry because uh, once you're educated, you're empowered, you can make better and informed decisions for yourself. Whether you want to be married or not, that's up to you uh, because you are empowered at that time. No one will do it forcibly to you. And it means there is no market for these men. There are no girls, younger girls, they wanted to marry that they'll be able to marry now because they're in school. Absolutely. So it means they, they see you as an enemy. Uh, they're saying you're taking their women or their wives away from them. So there will not be, there's a lot of resistance. And I think in my work, I've seen a lot of resistance with the younger men and with the elderly men. It was easy to have this conversation with women and girls. They were, they wanted to be part of that change they have seen the pain, they've seen the damages, they have seen how they are left behind because of a tradition that has no meaning. And they were eager to, to make change. They wanted to see their daughters in school. They, they see amazing stories from other different communities, how girls have been able to really develop their homes, supported their families. And they wanted the same, you know, important people in the society, in government positions, political positions, in different spaces. So they wanted that for their daughters. But now on the other end, men are saying, we, you're taking our women away from us because if they're in school, we don't have people to marry. And, uh, and there, there was a lot of resistance from them. And I remember there was a time I rescued a, a girl uh, in southern part of Kenya that was like uh, maybe seven years. And that girl... Uh, she was supposed to be married. She was uh, mm -hmm. 10 years. She was supposed to be married by a very influential uh, leader for the warriors because they have their own chiefs or their own leaders. So that was a very sensitive case because he's very influential. He mm -hmm. can say anything against you and all that. 
it's a case that we even had to talk to different people from government authorities. It was quite difficult, but at the end of the day, we were supposed to rescue, we were able to rescue that girl. And I remember him saying, we would no one to see you here again. Don't come and change our culture. Don't come and, uh, you know, make our girls not listen to us. So at that point, you cannot go back at the same time. It takes time, as I said, because you also have to reconcile them back. You have to talk to them. You have to say, we are not doing it uh, to harm the community. In fact, we love it. We love our culture, but we are just doing it to make sure we are saving our girls. And we are not only saying we want to empower girls, we want to empower both boys and girls. Because uh, remember, we we come from a community whereby we are saying beating your wife is a way of showing them love. You know, speaking up as a young girl, it's a way of showing disrespect. So if we don't talk to the younger men, to the younger boys, their fathers are their role models. Whatever they see them doing, they will still do it. That's why we are not, in our conversation or dialogues, we also have what we call the mother-to-girl forum and the father-to-son forum. We sit down with fathers and their sons and we talk to them because those boys in future will be fathers. Uh, they, they will be they'll be married to these women. Uh, they will have daughters. So we have to change that conversation and ensure that as they grow up, they know that they also need to respect women and they need to protect them uh, from these harmful practices. Nice. Why should we consider FGM a human right violation? And are we winning the battle? It is a violation of human rights. One, we all know it's against the law. And almost in all these African countries whereby uh, FGM is a problem, we have uh, laws in almost all of them. So we, we know it's done to children. It's, you know, it's done to uh, children under, depending on the community we are coming from, under the 10 of years, we have countries whereby it's even done to newborn babies will never even know that FGM has been done to them. And uh, uh, and I think that's why it's important. Uh, it's a violation of human rights, but it's important to have this conversation with everyone. Women, men, young and old, leaders, because we also have leaders who are not supporting it. Remember, it's a cultural issue. They also fear they are going to lose votes. They, they also fear that the community will say, we don't want to elect you because you're going to change this and that's not what we want. So uh, I feel it's something that uh, everyone needs to know that it's their responsibility to talk about it. It's their responsibility uh, uh, to, to take care uh, of, of these rights uh, of girls that it's affecting them. Nice Place Foundation. Let's delve deeper into the incredible work your foundation is doing in line with empowering young girls to achieve their rightful place in society as adults through advocating for the end of FGM, child marriages, and also the promotion of education for young women. Yeah, um, it's, uh, that has been my dream project and I'm happy now that it's a reality and a nice place uh, uh, foundation. It's a leadership academy for girls and a safe house for girls. So we have different programs there. And one of them is the leadership program. Because as I said, when we want to even 
and FGM or any other issue that is affecting the, uh, the lives of these girls, we need to empower them with information. We need to ensure that they are advocates or they are leaders in whatever conversation that we are having. And at the Leadership Academy, we have a curriculum that they are, it's like a two and a half months program whereby they are trained on leadership skills, how to be a leader. They are trained on advocacy. They are trained on personal development where issues of life skills, sexual and reproductive health and rights are there. You know, who you are, how do you realize yourself? You know, where do you want to be? A lot of empowerment is also there. Also have what we call, uh, the other topic is on computer and coding. Uh, we all know how technology is important. Mm -hmm. So we have girls who have finished uh, Form 4 who have been to school, but they don't have access to computers. How do we also ensure that we give uh, them uh, you know, computer skills or computer education? And for the ones probably who have done computer in high school, uh, they who are interested in advancing it, we get into coding. So we have a full-time young lady instructor there who is really... Uh, quite good in that and who is really empowering those girls with that. The other thing is also uh, we come from different communities. Remember in that community where we are, where our center is, they are so good in making jewelries, necklaces, you know, their traditional uh, way uh, with their traditional beads. Mm -hmm. We also have uh, agriculture is another thing that they do. We are now trying to come up with a demo farm that people need to know, you know, going to the farm is not punishment. Actually, you can make a living out of it. The beautiful jewelry is how do we ensure we are doing uh, good quality, proper branding, so that we don't only empower those girls, but also the women economically and ensure that uh, they can afford a living out of that. Nice. You are unequivocally a freedom ambassador an advocate who has had to overcome the threats of confronting not just your own, but uh, other people's freedoms and their rights to get help. Um, you've created an enabling environment through the Nice Place Foundation, which has we have come to read and I will see when I take that journey with you um, to make such an impactful change in people's lives that... Um, people can start reimagining their societies, which are free from FGM. And on that note, I would like to have your final concluding comments regarding, you know, we'd love to hear about your hopes and dreams for the future. What do you want to see in your lifetime? Uh, yes, uh, my dreams and hopes. Uh, I think I'm still dreaming because... Uh uh, I don't think I'm done with everything I um, wanted to do. Yes, I'm happy. A nice is a nice place. Uh, Leadership Academy and Safe House is there, and uh, the book was out that I always wanted to do. And uh, because I also realized I can't be in every place to share my story, to give girls hope, to give people hope, but I can be in every stall where people can just, you know, uh get the story, read, and see whether it's going to to to, to help them. Uh, but also a nice place we want to ensure that we are taking it to other communities whereby we know girls are having the same problem. Because what I want to see is a world whereby there is freedom for these girls to make choices. That they know, yes, culture tells them 
that uh, silence is a way of showing respect. But speaking up also is okay. And we want them to have that freedom, not only to make choices, but to speak up and say or tell the world what they want as girls. How do they want to be treated? What do they want? Uh, 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 how do they want to be supported? Because I think they are bold, beautiful, and they can always aspire to be anything they want to be. That's the thing that Nice came to me. She renewed my ambition. She enabled me to dream again. She empowered me. She gave me voice to speak for my right. That's the thing that I know FGM is not good in our culture. FGM is there to hinder girls from achieving their dreams. Nice took me to school. I was able to, I was admitted in Form 1. I went there in school, put a lot of effort, knowing where I'm coming from and wanting to change the community that I'm coming from. So after I gave birth, I, I heard from a woman who's there saving girls. So she told me about Nice Place Foundation. I came to Nice Place Foundation when my baby was six months. I left her back at home with my mother. So I came to Nice Place Foundation. Nice Place Foundation, I was taught about self-awareness, about safe sex, about teen pregnancies, about having a clear perception of yourself. And I also learned about entrepreneurship skills. Through the entrepreneurship skills, I, I learned how to make soap, and now I make soap. The money I get from soap helps, helps me to raise my child, helps the situation back at home. And to Nice Place Foundation, I would like to say thank you because it has helped me become a better woman. It has helped me grow as a woman. It has helped me have courage and know myself even better. The way I came into Nice Place Foundation is not the way I got out of this place. And to young girls, I would like to tell you that everything is possible and you also have a bright future. Don't give up. It's not over yet for you. This episode's journey has taken us down a very important road for us as people not just for women and girls, but for us as people collectively to notice and realize the importance of dismantling the architectures that hold us back and which also imprison us. From the heart of Kilimanjaro, this has been an impactful story and a good reminder that my right, your right, our right, Humanity is for us all. This has been our fourth episode of the third season of Let's Talk Human Rights, the FNF Africa podcast exploring human rights issues. We trust you have been touched and informed by it. The Friedrich Naumann Foundation Sub-Sahara Africa, FNF, is an independent German organization that is committed to promoting liberal ideals in politics in Africa such as human rights, the rule of law, democracy, innovation, digitization, and free trade. By conducting campaigns, media events, seminars, workshops, study tours, cultural happenings, and training courses, the Foundation promotes human rights including freedom of expression, freedom of the press, children's rights, and LGBTQIA rights, and engages against the violence against women, and capital punishment. If you are interested in our activities, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Simply check for Friedrich Naumann Foundation Africa. <laughs>